0: Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to continue in Genesis. We're in chapter 3. We're going to try to finish that one up. Let's get started. What a difference sincere confession makes. You know, King David wrote, When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's in Psalms 32. And in Proverbs, it says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's Proverbs 28. There's another Old Testament story that pertains here. Again, King David. He was in his palace while his men were out fighting. Well, one day he was on his roof and happened to see his neighbor's wife bathing And the Bible says, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Well, his neighbor, Uriah, was one of his most loyal soldiers. Nevertheless, David sent messengers and took the woman he saw into his house and had relations with her. Well, then, when he found out she was pregnant as a consequence, He schemed to try and make her husband think it was his own child. David called him back from the war and encouraged him to spend some time with his wife. Uriah, however, would not even go to his home while his comrades were on the battlefield. Well, with his plan foiled, David desperately maneuvered and manipulated the situation to ensure his brave soldier would be killed in battle you know, in effect, he murdered him. Sometime later, the prophet Nathan approached the king and told him a sad story. He said, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him this story incensed the king, and he exclaimed, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. To which Nathan replied, You are the man. And David, reeling from the shock of exposure and the light of truth, had a huge choice in front of him. To reject the truth And hide in the darkness, in the crowd, among the trees, so to speak, thinking back to Adam and Eve, or to come into the light and admit his failure, admit his need for forgiveness, to repent. Here's what he did He said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He did the right thing from his heart in sincerity. And immediately the prophet responded, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Oh, if Adam had only done the same thing. Now, there were consequences that befell David as a result of his sin, and certainly that is universally true. But honest confession and repentance makes the difference between life, and death. That's what salvation is all about. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that means your need for his atoning blood, which was shed for your sins, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's Romans 10. Well, Genesis continues. Then the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. (laughs) Alas, no confession from Adam, not in the sense of repentance. Instead, we have the first case of the proverbial pass the buck. Adam took no accountability for his action, but rather he pointed the finger at the woman you gave me. In other words, it wasn't just Eve's fault, it was God's fault for blessing him with this lady, uh, a thanks-for-the-help attitude, and of course my sarcasm is implied. Obviously, this was rooted in pride. It reminds me of a story, though. A Texas farmer was touring England. He happened to meet an English farmer and asked him, What size farm do you have? Well, the Englishman proudly announced, 35 acres. 35 acres? The Texan scoffed. Why, well, I can get in my truck at 8 a.m. and start driving, and at noon, I'm still on my farm. I can eat lunch and start driving again, and at 5 p.m., I'm still on my farm. Ah, yes, the Englishman nodded in understanding. I had a truck like that once. (laughs) Genesis continues, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Taking her cue from Adam, she passed the blame to the serpent. Who by this time was probably trying for a hasty getaway. Genesis goes on, so the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than any beast of the field. On your belly ye you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his feet. So the serpent was busted, nailed, if you would. Satan took reign of the planet, but in the process, he incurred damnation. This passage is regarded by many scholars as the first prophecy in the Bible in which the woman pictures the nation Israel. Now, many rabbinical scholars claim that the man referred to in Isaiah chapter 53 is Israel as well, but that is simply not so. Throughout the scripture, Israel, when allegorically portrayed as a person, is always portrayed as a woman, never as a man. Here, Israel, the woman, is said to be in enmity with Satan, and if you took a look at history, you see that indeed, Satanic anti-Semitism has plagued the people of Israel from Pharaoh to Hitler and into today. And not only is this enmity with the woman, but with her seed. This is interesting because the seed of procreation is always attributed to the man in the Bible. Because of this, many see this as a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we can see that this prophecy came to pass for although Satan did bruise Christ's heel on the cross of Calvary, Jesus bruised his head big time in rising from the dead and taking captivity captive. Destroying his works and redeeming all who believe. Genesis goes on. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now this is really beautiful and wonderfully reveals the heart of our God. At first glance, you might hastily think God was just being a disciplinarian. But nothing could be further from the truth. The word for sorrow here is worrisomeness, and the word for pain refers to a carving or fashioning or forming. Recall what was evidently the bait that Satan used to deceive Eve— a promise of spirituality, to be like God. You see, Eve desired more spirituality, but grasped for it, deeming it something that would give her an edge. It was like the brass ring. Her desire wasn't wrong, but obviously her method was. Here God said that she was going to be fashioned in childbearing, and she was going to be in a position of submission to her husband. What was God doing? Let's look at another portion of Scripture for the clue. Paul wrote to Timothy, Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. That's from 1 Timothy chapter 2. You see, what God was doing was giving her her heart's desire. She wanted spirituality, so God schooled her in what true spirituality is all about. That's serving, giving out, long-suffering, self-sacrificing love. She would be fashioned into a godly person— as she raised her children, teaching them to walk in faith, love, and holiness with self-control, and as she submitted to her husband in sincere humility. In effect, God gave her an incredible gift. This wasn't just discipline. This was grace. And how often do we think when we have some trial come into our life— Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Please help me out of this jam. Please, please, please. Ha! You see, we've got to understand this. Our God is indeed love. His motives toward us are always for our good. He's not sitting on the throne with belt strap in hand just waiting for us to mess up so He can whack us hard. When He allows difficulties... Regardless of our understanding, the end is good. Romans 8 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We belong to him as his kids, and his desire is to bring us into a oneness with him. There's a story about Alan Redpath. His two daughters were younger. He heard his wife say, "'Girls, go get your father for breakfast.' Well, the oldest bounded up the steps, and by the time the youngest, who was considerably younger, made it to the room, puffing from the race, her older sister said, "'I have already told Daddy breakfast is ready, and besides, I have all of Daddy.' Oh, the little one took that pronouncement hard." And a tear began to run down her cheek, so her father sat her on his knee. She put her head on his shoulder and then smiled big and said to her sister, You might have all of Daddy, but Daddy has all of me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is important. Many of you likewise desire more of the Lord's presence, His Spirit in your life. Of course, that is wonderful, but you will not find it by grasping for it from someone promising you that you can have it all now, instant gratification. And it's never for giving you the spiritual edge over anyone. Just look at Jesus. Look at his life for the example. It was a life of raising his kids, submitting them to the higher authority, and him too, a life of serving, giving, ministering, loving, healing, helping and dying. There's the spirituality you desire. It happens supernaturally naturally as you walk in Christ's footsteps. Genesis goes on. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now there are several things in this passage we need to notice. When you talk to some people and you mention the curse— They automatically think that God cursed man because of his rebellion. Well, folks, that's not true at all. God never cursed Adam. Read it yourself. On the contrary, his curse was upon the ground for man's sake. That is just like he began to work in Eve's life. The thing she desired, so he did with Adam. What do I mean? Well, what Adam chose was essentially a special relationship. He viewed Eve as his completer. God had said, it's not good that man is alone, to which Adam would say, amen. And he evidently didn't want to be alone again, but he chose to pursue this new relationship with someone made of dust, just as he was. And it was the choice that was or is doomed to fail. In other words, he thought he could be fulfilled in Eve rather than in his creator. God knew that the fulfillment Adam needed and desired could only be realized in relating to his God. Seeking to fill the emptiness of the heart through intimacy with another person can only go so far. Because flesh can only relate to flesh, the spiritual part of man can only be nurtured and completed by God, who is spirit. So the Lord gave man what he opted for, the flesh, the dust of the earth. But the dust was cursed for, F-O-R man, so that man would learn the most important lesson that the dust doesn't satisfy, it can't fulfill his heart's desire. And in ultimately realizing this, he would be led back to the one who truly loved him and who alone could bring purpose to his life. The relationship Adam needed and longed for, though he didn't yet realize it, was with the Lord. The scripture says in Psalm 90 verse 3, You that is God, turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. That word destruction means a breaking and humbling. We should also note that God's medicine, if you would, for Adam's heart was hard work. Sometimes working hard is the most spiritual thing you can do. And it's the one way God uses to keep sin in check. As a matter of fact, the people that tend to struggle the most with sin are usually those who have the most time on their hands. Now, work as a medicine only treats the symptoms of sin. The cure, of course, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, Genesis goes on. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. This is wonderful. What a declaration of faith. At first, she was named woman. But now, there's a change. You see, Adam didn't name her Eve until after their fall. You see, Eve means life or living. But they had just died. They and their offspring were all doomed to death, and Adam knew this unless God intervened. Personally, I think Adam may have heard what God said in verse 15 of this chapter and believed it. As a result, he was looking for the seed for the life giver, the Messiah. He looked to God to restore life, true life, back to his creation. Now, Eve was probably encouraged by this And again, since she was as the bride of Adam, a picture of the church, the message is that though she had died, there was hope in God, and she was called life. It reminds me of these scriptures out of 2 Corinthians. It says chapter 4, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh." So Adam expressed faith in God's plan of redemption, but sin had entered the world, and its effects were to distort, really, if you would, invert our perspectives of good and evil. It radically changed the relationships God intended. Let me explain. Before the fall, Eve wanted simply to change herself, to become more spiritual, more godly. Adam, before the fall, loved Eve so much, he identified with her so much, that he chose her over his obedience to God. Then entered sin, and things have been different ever since. Now, the tendencies of men and women in relationship are quite the opposite. Now, women tend to want to change their mates— wishing they were more spiritual or more tender-hearted or more romantic and so on. They often don't respect who their husbands are as much as they what they want them to be. Now, men tend to love other things or are stuck on themselves. They tend to be independent and really don't identify well with the feelings and needs of their spouses. That's why the scripture says in Ephesians 5, Let each one of you, each man, In particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, Genesis goes on. And for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made skins or tunics of skin and clothed them. Man made a mess of things when he tried to cover himself Surely fig leaves were not the most comfortable dining ensemble, but God, in His mercy and grace, gave them a covering. But no, what kind of covering? A skin. In order for man's now sinful nakedness to be covered, there had to be a death. An animal had to die. Personally, I think it was likely either a lamb or a goat, though, of course, I can't be dogmatic. Nevertheless, the spiritual principle here is illustrated for us, the plan of God from the very beginning. The Bible amplifies this point. It says in Leviticus 17, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement, or a covering, if you would, for the soul. And Psalms 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And you all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God knew from before the beginning that man would fall, and he planned all along to pay the price for that fall himself. He gave his own life in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to cover us, to remove the fruitlessness from our lives. He is the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the earth. See Revelation 13.8. Genesis goes on, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become, like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life, and live forever. Whew! I'm sure glad God intervened. Can you imagine living forever, getting more and more hateful and self-absorbed, while physically, mentally, and morally decaying? Praise God for His mercy. And again, we witness the compound unity of the Godhead in the word, Us. But watch what happened here. Genesis goes on. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Though God said, man has become like one of us, it was also true that unlike God, evil had entered the heart of man. As a result, access to the tree of life was forbidden. The perfect poetic contrast to that situation is when mankind, beholding Jesus Christ, could say, God has become like one of us. For it was then that the light of life began to enter into our evil hearts, and access to the tree of life was restored to all who believe. The word of God declares in 1 John 3, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And 1 John 5 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And in Revelations 22, 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. Recall that Adam typifies or pictures Jesus Christ. And notice that just as he was sent out of paradise to till the ground from which he was taken. So Jesus was sent out of heaven to work the soil, if you would, of mankind's heart. In fact, Jesus said in John 9, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And in John 17, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Also, we should note the first Adam, full of sin, sowed seeds in the ground, while the last Adam, Jesus Christ, sows his seeds in the heart. And we, in a sense, have the option to follow either example. Galatians 6 says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit Reap life everlasting. Genesis finishes up, So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the gate, the east gate, was closed by a flaming sword. But one day soon, the antitype of Adam, that is Jesus Christ, will enter the east gate, the east gate of Jerusalem, which has been closed as well. But when Christ comes, he will enter having paid the price for sin and having the right to rule. As a result, healing waters will flow from that entrance. Check it out. Ezekiel chapter 47. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him, Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of His grace today.